And one more time. Good morning. Welcome to Oregon Hill. We find ourselves today nearing the end of January, which, according to what I just read, means that 80% uh, of this year's New Year's resolutions have already been abandoned. 80%. Is that a surprise? No, no. In one way, that's good news. If you guys watch any TV, uh, it means that very soon all those TV commercials for Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, Diet Pills, Nordic Track, Bowflex, Planet Fitness, 24-Hour Fitness, all that stuff, all those commercials will go away. You know, they, they inundate the television with that sort of stuff this time of year to try to get the money out of the wallets of all those people who made those New Year's resolutions to lose weight, to exercise, and all that. And they don't really care if they keep those commitments. As long as 24-hour fitness got your money for a whole year's membership, you know, they're all right. You know, they, and as long as you pay that $18 a month for the next five years for the home gym, you know, they, they don't care whether you use it or not. But those TV commercials will be set aside for 11 months only to come back next January. But the thing that I find interesting about all those commercials are the before and after pictures. You know what I mean? So I, we have a couple up here. You know, we have the, uh, the big guy, skinny guy picture, you know, that you see on so many uh, of these commercials. Uh, next, if you, if you see like uh, uh, HGTV and all the fixer-upper shows, you know, you got the before and after picture of the house. Um, maybe if uh, you're looking to get some body work done on your car, you're looking for an ad with a before and after picture, you know, to make sure that this shop is going to be able to take care of what you just did to your car with that deer that you, that you met. Um, then for moms with little kids and grass stains and all that, we got the before and after of, you know, what Tide can do for you. And if you're my age and you watch TV back in the 70s, who could ever forget the commercials for Hair Club for Men? <laughs> you know, these before and after pictures are really cool because they try to show a drastic difference, right? They try to show a huge difference between, you know, that was then, this is now. Uh, so with that in mind, I invite you to turn to Ephesians. Uh, we've been looking at Ephesians the last few weeks. Uh, Randy introduced us to uh, the book of Ephesians uh, three or four weeks ago. He worked through chapter one, um, and his uh, father-in-law finished up chapter one last week. So we're going to pick up at Ephesians chapter two, verse one. Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And I'll just pause here. Usually when we talk about the spirit or rulers in the Bible, you know, we're, we're talking in spiritual terms, we're talking about God, but not here. You know, here we're talking about Satan. Uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us 
also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its, evil, or following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So in these first few verses, Paul paints for us this picture of the before. Um, you may remember Randy's sermon uh, a couple weeks ago in the first chapter. We saw again and again the words, in Christ or in him. And a big change, change happened in Ephesus when the gospel came. Here were all these people living for themselves, uh, following the ways of the world, and when the gospel came, there was a change in the hearts of these people. The gospel changed them, and they became Christians in Christ, and it made a big difference. So picking up now at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So now we have this before and after picture, and we can sort of look at it like this. Before, people were dead. They were in the world, and they were out pleasing themselves. But after Christ came into their lives, things were changed. The after is the people are saved. They're in Christ Jesus, in a relationship with him, and their hearts are set towards pleasing God. And all this happened because of the gospel. The before and after pictures are easy to read, easy to see. The, the big difference the, between the big guy and the little guy, the dirty or the clean, the bald and the not so bald. Easy to read. But Paul also goes into uh, a little bit of this with some of the people that he had to contend with in his time, and we will also see them in our day too, uh, people who are into works. Um, people, some saved people, who are still, even though they've got the grace of God, are still trying to earn their salvation. And if it was like a mathematic equation, it would be like this. Grace plus my works equals my salvation. They think that they've got to still do something even after they've received that forgiveness. Um, you can think of it this way. If you have a neighbor or a, an old friend that stops by a couple weeks before Christmas, he stops in unexpectedly and he brings you a Christmas present and the first thought that, I would have in that situation, oh man, now I got to go out and get him something, you know, because if he gave me something, I got to give him something, so I've, I've got to get even, I've got to even the score, or if you're out driving with a friend and you stop, 
at a rest stop and they buy you a coffee, oh man, on the way home, I'm going to have to buy them a coffee because you know you got to make the playing field level. Um, but what does it say? It it says that salvation is a, a gift. It's a gift of God and doesn't have to be repaid. It doesn't have to be paid for. We we can never get even with God. And grace plus works doesn't really work. What did we sing earlier? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It doesn't say anything about us having to work as well to earn that. There are also people that are into works, but for a slightly different reason. Uh, Usually these are unsaved people, and they're trying to buy their way into heaven. You know, they're thinking that, well, if I give enough money to charity, then God will let me in. Or if my good here outweighs my bad, you know, if I can get those scales to tip this way, then, then God will have to let me in. You know, or if I, if I do enough good deeds, then God will let me in. But this passage here in Ephesians and other passages elsewhere throughout the Bible explain very clearly that salvation comes by faith through God's, as we see here, God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace. And that alone is what can transform the before to the after or transform the sinner into the saint. And so, wow, short sermon. We're all done, right? Um, Sort of, but there's just one loose end we got to tie up. Let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, so, if it's not by works, then why are we created to do works? And why does God prepare works for us to do? God's love, God's mercy, and God's grace, listed out here in this passage, are not philosophical topics to be pondered and discussed or studied. Uh, They're not just emotions that we need to be in touch with. God's love, mercy, and grace were put into action for us to see. Uh, God demonstrated these three things uh, when he sent an angel to stop Abraham from sacrificing his son Isaac. It was seen uh, many times in uh, Israel's history, uh, the parting of the Red Sea, delivering the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh and from slavery in Egypt, the rescuing of a drowning prophet, Jonah, and the sending of his son to earth. Jesus demonstrated his love and mercy and grace when he told his disciples, we're going back to Jerusalem. And those those disciples said, we can't go there. They tried to kill you the last time we were there, and they'll surely kill you now if we go back. But where did he go? He went to Jerusalem. And who but the people in Jerusalem could see more clearly Jesus' love for them as he endured the trial, the beatings, the mockery, and endured the nails and the cross as he sacrificed his own life himself for each one of us. 
his love, his mercy, and his grace were put into action. And so what else could our response be to that love and mercy and grace but action? Not works for salvation because, you know, we can't, we can't add anything to the grace of God to make us any better. Not for salvation and not works to get even with God because we can never do that. But our action, our service should be a loving and living response to God's mercy. Uh, Romans 12 says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Yeah. In the book of James, we'll put it up here. You don't have to turn to it. I think we've got it up here. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So faith requires some action. Paul's uh, passage here in Ephesians that we looked at says that we are made for service. James's take on it is our faith is accompanied by action. But what did Jesus say about this? I'd like us all to turn, if we can, to Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. And this is probably a familiar passage for most of us. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For every one who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I always thought this parable was about stewardship. You know, you, you take the money that God entrusts to you and you spend it wisely. Um, and I thought that until I read the first word of this passage again. Well, that word means that what he's just about to talk about is connected with what he just finished talking about. So if we want to truly understand the parable of the talents, we have to look at the passage before. So that passage before starts at uh, verse 1 of chapter 25, and it's the parable of the ten virgins. So at that time, the kingdom of heaven will, well, you have to ask yourself at what time? At that time that he was just talking about in the previous passage. So you've got to go back, and you can keep going back to the very beginning of chapter 24. And you can also go to the section after the parable of the talents, uh, the sheep and the goats. This is two whole chapters of just one message that Jesus was giving. And I love the NIV, you know, and a lot of the modern translations have these little subtitles in here so you can very quickly find uh, the parable of the talents. Or you can find uh, do not be yoked with unbelievers or uh, struggling with... It's really easy to find passages this way, but we can sometimes think that this passage, the parable on the talents, can stand alone by itself without the other passages around it. But we have to look at this in context of what it's uh, really speaking through this whole passage. And so we don't have time to read all of chapter 24 and 25, but I just want to read verses 30 and 31. And this will give us a, a glimpse of what Jesus is trying to get across here. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. So in these two chapters, Jesus is teaching about his return. When he returns for his church, for us, the followers of Christ. I had heard David Jeremiah years ago, and uh, he had talked about 
he was teaching about the second coming of Christ, and he says, every time you look in the Bible, when it talks about the second coming of Christ, it is always immediately followed by teaching on how we need to live while we wait for his return. So he's, in chapter 24, talking about he's coming back, and this passage, the parable of the talents, is how we're supposed to live while we wait. And we should be waiting. We should be anticipating and looking forward to Christ's return. Uh, We remember just a few weeks ago, uh, before Christmas, Randy taught on Simeon and Anna, waiting in Jerusalem. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel, the, the, the coming of the Messiah. They were waiting, and when he came, they knew it was him. They recognized him. So we should be anticipating But how are we supposed to live while we wait? The first thing is be prepared. And now this is maybe sort of a, you know, a redundant thing to say in a church filled with believers. But are you ready to face God? I don't know where everyone's heart is here. If we have someone in here that needs to hear this. But uh, if you died today, do you know where you're going? Are you prepared to face God? Um, All those times we heard, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, do you have that? Are you there? And if you're not, if you're sitting here in this congregation, you probably know someone here in this church that you can talk to. So don't leave today without making sure that you are in Christ. We need to be prepared. Number two, we need to take action. And number three, We need to serve faithfully. Think about this. If if you remember the parable of the ten virgins, ten were there, but only five were prepared. In the parable of the talents, three were entrusted with money, but only two were found faithful. Only two took action. In Ephesians 2, Paul says that God prepares opportunities for us to serve. Matthew 25, Jesus says, take action, serve faithfully. We could also take a little time and and analyze the attitude or the mindset, or maybe the best word is the heart of these three servants. The first two servants took action and served faithfully. And when the master returned, they were excited. See, your five talents, I've made five more. They were excited. And the master was excited too and said, hey, share in the master's happiness. There was a relationship there. There was joy there. The third servant did nothing. And if we looked at his response and his action, we could probably see that he did not have a right view of the master. And because a parable is a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, we would say that his attitude towards God or his heart towards God was not right. Christian Radio uh, uh, years ago had uh, oh, Money Matters. 
Money Matters on the radio. And Larry Burkett, if any of you remember, uh, I see a few nods. He had something that he always said. He said, I could, I could tell where a person's heart was just by looking at their checkbook. He said, a way a person spends their money is an outside indicator of an inner spiritual condition. And the same thing could be said about our service. The way we serve God is an outside indicator of our inner spiritual condition. Our service to God should be a loving response. It should be an act of thanksgiving for the love, the mercy, and the grace that he's given to us through Jesus Christ. In verse 14, we see that the man entrusts his property to those three servants. We should be asking ourselves, what has God entrusted to us, both personally and as a church? What has God entrusted to us? Each believer has been given spiritual gifts. We've all been given natural abilities and talents, money. Our church has ministries, and we all have personal ministries and relationships we have outside the church as well as in the church. We have church buildings, church van, and according to Ephesians 2, we all have opportunities to serve. Individually, we should be asking ourselves, what opportunities do I see in my life, in my neighborhood, in my family, at my job, at my school? This is for young people and old. Remember, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we need to be prepared, take action, and serve faithfully. And not just individually, but also as a church. Alan Phillips said a couple weeks ago, and this is pretty exciting, that there's a chance that we could be having Sunday services at the new church building in 2018. That's pretty cool. I mean, that'll be great, won't it? Why don't, if it helps, why don't you close your eyes and let's think about this. Let's try to picture this. Picture it in your mind. You're pulling up the driveway to the new church building, and whoa, we got a gravel. We got a gravel. We got, we got a parking lot now. This is cool. And look at all these cars. There are cars everywhere. I've got to park way away from the building, and now I'm going to have to walk. Oh, yeah, and if it's November or December, it might be snowing. So, you know, you'll, you'll walk across the snow and walk across it, go through the doors and wipe your feet good because, you know, we got new carpet and all that. So wipe your feet well. And you walk in, and, ooh, that carpet is, they got the nice padding under the carpet. This is nice. And you look around, and, hey, you like the paint colors, and you can smell the new paint and see all the trim, and, ooh, hear music, I guess the worship is about to start, but then, whoa, look at all these people. You know, I've been hearing for years that once we get over there, these people all said they're going to start coming if once we get that new building open, and the music starts, and now it's time to worship, because praise and celebration are about to break out. Isn't this so cool? Won't that be great in that new building? 
But what happens if Jesus comes back in March? (laughs) Will we be found faithful right here if we never get that far? God doesn't want us to be faithful next year when we're living right now. Will we be found faithfully serving when Jesus returns? Let's not be found as a church or as individuals. Let's not be found in neutral while we wait for the new building or while we wait for new ministry opportunities at the new facility in Liberty. Let's not be waiting for a chance to step in and and help out once we get over there. We've got to make sure that we're serving faithfully where we are right now. What are the words that you want to hear when you see Jesus? Well done, good, and faithful servant. We want to be the after picture, not the before picture. Uh, And the after picture, I think, can be summed up in two words. To do. Looking again at Ephesians 2. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for opportunities to serve that you give us, that you create for each one of us to do. I thank you, Lord, for including us in your mission, in your church. The way you have chosen to reach out to the world and show your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for including us in that, Lord. We pray that you could help us to put our faith into action, to love others, to serve others, and help this to be not a duty that we have to fulfill, but a loving response to your grace given to us. And as we serve each other, as we serve those outside of the church, as we serve anyone we see in your name, I just pray that the world would see you working through us and that your name would be praised, Lord. We just thank you for including us in your mission here at Oregon Hill and in the future, in liberty, and we just thank you for the many opportunities you put before us to serve and to love. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we have our closing song, next Sunday there's going to be um, an opportunity for all of us to uh, take a little action um, when someone heard about the, the message here today, they, they thought they had some money that they were going to put in the building fund, but they thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could see this gift multiplied through the action and faithfulness of our congregation? And so next week, there will be a $5 bill for everyone in the congregation. And The thing is, you're to take that and put it to work for the building fund.
I know a guy years ago that had a similar challenge given to him, and he, he, he had a dollar. And he bought enough wood to make a cutting board. And he sold it for whatever, $5. And he took that wood and bought enough wood to make five more cutting boards. And before you knew it, he had like $100 to give towards uh, that mission project. So maybe, you know, you can do something like that. Maybe uh, you don't have a woodworking shop. Maybe you have a green thumb. Um, can you get a tomato plant for $5? If you can. My wife's a sucker for fresh tomatoes. We don't have a garden. You grow a bunch of tomatoes off that uh, tomato plant, sell them to my wife or whoever. Sell them to your neighbors. And whatever money you get from that tomato plant, put into the building fund. Or, you know, there's the old lemonade stand, or uh, maybe you can buy, we have a couple young guys with strong backs, can buy a snow shovel and shovel driveways if we get any more snow this winter, like Dave promises we will. Get creative. Be creative. Find ways that you can take that small amount of money and multiply it for the building fund. Yeah, it's great to get that big gift we got this week, but every gift counts. Every little bit added up and multiplied makes a huge difference and will get us to the goal that uh, Alan will be talking about uh, in uh, connections today. Also, think about this. Families can pool their money. You got a bunch of kids, let them pool all their money together and work together. All that money might be able to do a little more, a, a bigger project, and uh, uh, be a good chance for the families to work together on that. If you have testimonies then about what your family or what you did personally with this, tell Alan. And Alan, if, if you don't want to share here on a Sunday morning, Alan would love to share it. And it would just encourage everyone else who's working at this and trying to see that building fund grow. So go home this week, think about it, pray about it, and if you need more than $5, I think there's more than enough to, to cover if, if a family needs $50 or $75 or if an individual needs 15 instead of five, we'll make it happen, we'll make it work. That's fine. Now. In uh, the parable of the talents, it said that the money was entrusted to those servants. And so we're entrusting these $5 bills to all you guys. And we will then trust God for the growth. We want to multiply that money to build the building fund so the building committee can build that building. So uh, think and pray about that this week. And now I invite the worship team to come on up.